Do you know the risk factors for type 2 diabetes? Or what makes it more likely you or someone in your life might have the disease? With type 2 diabetes playing a growing role in the lives of so many, you need to know. And Project Power, a community program from the American Diabetes Association, is here to help. Take our risk test today at diabetes.org slash Project Power. You can avoid the risk of type 2. Project Power will help. How about we heat things up tonight? Mm, how so? Get a little fresh, add some steam, sizzle and spice. <laughs> Wait, you're talking about going to Outback again, aren't you? Fire things up at Outback Steakhouse. For a limited time, try our Bloomin' Fried Shrimp. Or get fresh with our new strawberry salad. Go big with our bone-in ribeye. Or the filet and grilled shrimp on the barbie. Then cool off with a cucumber crush or peanut koala. Try them all before they're gone. Let's Outback. Welcome, everyone. I want to say... I really appreciate the time that you give me and my guest on the show. I know everyone has other things they could be doing, but the fact that you take the time to listen to these episodes, I'm truly grateful. Today in Dr. D's social network, we continue to explore in the topic of the book Crimson Letters, Voices from Death Row. And we explore that with the authors of the book, all five of them. And yesterday we talked to Tessie Castillo, who was an author and international journalist, about her time chatting and learning and growing with these gentlemen who have become her co-authors, all who are in prison on death row. I am astounded by the humanity that I've seen and the growth that I've seen in these gentlemen in my short time. I think you might see that too. In today's episode, we kick it off with George Wilkerson, one of the authors of the book, as we discuss his time on death row and the formation of the book and how it has changed him. Ladies and gentlemen, George Wilkerson. George? Yes. How are you doing? This is Dr. Darian Parker talking with you. Hey, George, how are you? Good, man. How you doing? I'm good. Hey, listen, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, ditto, man. I appreciate you uh, being willing to hear anything I have to say at all. Of course. You know, George, I read your chapter uh, with Tessie and you guys put together extremely powerful, extremely powerful, extremely well-written. And... um. I was just telling Tessie before this, like, man, this is an incredible project that you guys put together. So one, thank you for allowing me to read that. Okay. Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, appreciate of everything you just said. Of course, of course. So I want to jump in a little bit and talk about um, you and Tessie and how you guys connected. I mean, I, I read a bit of, about it in the chapter, but for the audience, I would love for you guys to describe that relationship and how that came together to write a book. Okay. Um, well, <clears throat> back in 2013, um, they started some classes here on 
death threat. Well, actually, they started one class, a writing class, uh, and it had it received such a good response from uh, us prisoners that they started another round. And in the second round of classes, um, Tessie came in uh, facilitating a journaling class. Now, I personally did not get to participate in her journaling class uh, because I was so caught up in the writing class. Uh, that I, I passed on it, but then so many other people around me were talking good about it and and how much it was helping them and um, how good of a teacher Tessie was that they sort of piqued my interest and and so I expressed that to one of the guys and asked if he would ask Tessie if I could join the class uh, even though it was mid semester and she sent word back that I could. Um, but before the next class came around, Tessie actually uh, got kicked out and she got banned from entering the prison because of an article that she wrote uh, actually defending us in uh, the Raleigh MNO. So we actually have never met in person. Um, but through her experiences with the guys here, she started corresponding with several of the guys here. And through their discussions and um, continued storytelling, uh, somehow the idea emerged that they should compile all this into a book. And um, Tessie wanted to sort of replicate her experience that she had with us because she came into the prison with some um, preconceived ideas about what it would be like to interact with men on death row. And through her interactions, um, her ideas were transformed. Like everything that she expected basically did not come to pass. Um, she just recognized that um, she was not the only one who held those, those ideas. And so she wanted to share with the world abroad uh, some of her experiences in hopes of um, revealing our humanity here. And through those discussions with the other guys, uh, I was like, man, I sound, that sounds like a great project. I wish I could be a part of something like that. And um, and I asked if I could participate, and um, Tessie and the other guys welcomed me to to the project, uh, and the rest is history, so to speak. Wow, that's incredible. Um, so in writing this, in writing, what was the hardest part about getting started and being part of this project? Um, well, I swear, if you ask me this, uh, the same question every week, you'd probably get a different <laughs> answer from me. Yeah. <laughs> because it's hard <laughs> to quantify something like that. Because, um, you know, there were so many difficulties along the way. But I think uh, right now, I'm thinking one of the main ones is just uh, coordination. Because we're in here, Tessie's on the outside, there are four of us prisoners here, there's five co-authors. So anytime you get five people who are trying to do a thing, and it's so important to each of them, uh, you, you're going to eventually bump heads. But if you combine that with just uh, the pragmatics of coordinating such a, uh, a complex effort with the editing and the back and forth, and, you know, if we didn't have Tessie on the outside, um, like as the nexus and coordinating, we wouldn't have been able to do this, I think. Uh, but really just, just coordinating this effort, man, it's just highly complicated. It's like juggling all these different balls and yeah. objects at the same time. I can only imagine. Well, tell, tell me a little bit about what you learned about yourself during this process of writing this, you know, your portion of the book. Uh, well, each each essay was sort of a, uh, an, an effort in self-exploration uh, because one of the main reasons that I write is because um, growing up, you know, you always hear the phrase, uh, you'll understand when you get older. 
Uh, so that sort of characterized my life during my teenage years and early adult life is that I went through a whole lot of stuff that I just did not understand. I mean, I, I just adapted to the situation or did the best that I could, but really it was sort of like a controlled crash. Like I was just swerving and just trying to keep it in the road, and obviously I didn't do too great of a job at that. Um, but whenever I was introduced to writing, I saw that in the process of writing, it forces me to articulate ideas and experiences that before were just sort of like all jumbled up in my head. Uh, and then in that writing and seeing what I wrote, I can sort of like compare that to my experience and say, well, that's not exactly right. Um, and so it challenges me to to uh, edit what I my previous idea of what I was trying to say because, you know, it's hard to say things and mean exactly what you're saying or say exactly what you mean. Uh, and just so in that revision process, it really challenged me to figure out what I went through and then explore why I went through it. So it was like yeah. writing each piece is like a conversation with myself and with my past and it was really therapeutic. So that's one of the main things that I get from the whole process. That's what I was thinking when I was reading. It was almost kind of like that you were reflecting upon your past and, and how these things um, played in your life for that. And I imagine that that would be pretty powerful in that, you know, for a lot of people, they never take the time to actually reflect about their beginnings and how their beginnings have influenced where they are today, you know? Absolutely. So I wonder also during this process um, with Tessie, working with Tessie, what was the the di I know you guys haven't met, but what was kind of the general dialogue on a regular basis when putting this together? Well, um, the book project itself was also a learning process and the, and the mm -hmm. process of self-exploration because uh, none of us had done this before. Um, not, not like this. I think actually, I think Lyle, uh, one of the co-authors, had uh, published a book in the past. But I know I haven't done it, and so I knew absolutely nothing about how this would go. Um, and so we've had to just figure out all these steps along the way. So really, I think one of the major themes uh, or dynamics that were was just coming alongside each other and trying to troubleshoot these obstacles that we were facing. Um, and so one thing I really appreciated about that is that um, – Tessie would approach me with a, a problem. She would say, hey, look, here's the problem that we're facing. Um, what do you think that we should do? What, is your, what are your ideas here? And she actually, you know, was serious. She wasn't just trying to humor me or, or cater to me. She was actually like, look, we have a problem, and we don't know how to solve it, and we have to come together and figure this out. So it really um, challenged me to think in ways and to see some of the difficulties that any writer uh, goes through. So I just really appreciated that uh, she was interested in hearing uh, the feedback that I gave. And, you know, sometimes um, some of my suggestions or ideas were factored into uh, the solution. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. What was the reaction you had to reading uh, the book when it was done? You know, reading your co-authors sections, things of that nature. What was your overall thought about that? Wow, that was a powerful experience because up to um, the book was published, I had not read uh, everyone else's contributions. Now, having 
participated in um, a lot of classes with the guys and just us telling our own stories. I was familiar to some degree with the stories, but having them all ordered in the way that they were ordered and juxtaposed and combined into a, a solid higher order thing, which is the book, um, it would just, I was trying to read it like from an objective perspective too. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. possible, but just, just reading it, man, I was really encouraged and um, just inspired. And, you know, I just really came away with a more admiration for everything that everyone did. And it was really gratifying to see how I knew how many years we had all put into this. I mean, personally, I've been writing this stuff for seven years. So for me, this is the, a culmination of a seven-year-long effort. And I know some of the other guys had been writing and exploring themselves for years before I had. I mean, I'm kind of like the new guy to this, to this mm -hmm. endeavor. Uh, so it just was, it was so much tangled up in that, man. Wow. <clears throat> now, I can imagine after you're spending all this time writing and, you know, rewrites and getting it together where it was, where you guys wanted to be and you finish and you read it, was there a sense of, all right, I finished this, now what? Yes. Um, I, I, think, I think part of it is like, you know, what's the next stage for us? Yeah. Uh, but we didn't want to, I think we did not want to try to plan so far ahead because you just, there's so many obstacles that you can't see past them. Um, and so we were sort of just taking it one step at a time um, just for practical reasons and also because we knew that at, at any moment this thing can come crumbling down. Uh, so even as we speak, you know, we're still just taking it one step at a time and, and uh, each step sort of leads naturally into the next one. It's like the, um, you know, as we overcome one obstacle, <laughs> either another opportunity arises or, you know, we hit another obstacle and it's sort of, I, I almost feel like we're being steered uh, providentially in a very specific yeah. direction. And, like like listening to GPS, you know, we're just, we're sort of getting it turn by turn. Um, and we're just kind of operating on faith, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Degree. Yeah. No, totally understand that. And so um, this is pretty in incredible. I think just, I was telling Tessie before you got on for your call and we had a little conversation and I was like, this is like one of the better uh, written books I've ever read. Seriously. It is so well done. I've had the fortune to read many, many amazing books and being academia and the whole thing. And just, I can tell it was a rigorous process and that you guys really wanted this to represent yourself in a way that would really come out and be powerful. And it was, I mean, from the, the first line in the book is incredibly powerful. For anybody that ends up reading the book, highly recommend it. It pulls you in immediately. That's good writing. And then your story and then just learning about your childhood and stuff, it, it really pulled on me and it just made me think. And it's an incredible, incredible journey. And so I wonder what do you think are the biggest misperceptions people have we about have 60 people seconds remaining. that people have about people yeah, on death row? Sorry. Yeah. What, what are the what biggest misperceptions? Yeah, that people have about people huh. who are on death row. Um, wow, well, there's a lot tied into that too. Um, Do you want to call back and answer that? Yeah. Um, and also, yes, I'm gonna call right back. Give me like three minutes because my um, 
My account is out of money. You have 30 seconds remaining. Well, I got it covered, Jesse. I can pay for it, but just uh, I need to put okay. it back on the account. Okay. Well, okay. we can do that after this is over with, but I'll have these calls covered. That way we don't have to uh, have such a delay. All right. Well, thank you, George. All right. Yeah. All right, he's going to call right back. Yep, no problem. No problem. Amazing. Um, I look forward to hearing the answer to that question. By the way, you know. <laughs> he's great. This, this whole process of me just sitting back and listening to them talk, I can't explain how gratifying that is for me because I saw how insightful and intelligent and humble they were in the prison. And now, like giving you that opportunity so you can see it too and so that your listeners can see it for me is just like an I see I told you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot to people that yeah. we don't take the time to understand. Yeah. You know, like one of the biggest things um, before I was doing this, I had a lot of people ask me, uh, well, do you know why they're on death row or do you know all these things about their cases and stuff? I said, no. And I said, honestly, I'm not here to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm here to talk about a book, an amazing project. And, you know, obviously some things like I just asked, um, but I think it'd be interesting to learn, you know? Yeah. That was one of the many, many issues we fought over, whether <laughs> whether to write about the crimes in the book and yeah. lots of issues like that. Um, I would only imagine, yeah. Hey, George, I'm gonna put you right back in. Awesome. All right. Hey, George. Hey. Awesome. George is back. Okay. All, All right, George. George in, uh, in, in response to your question about uh, what I thought the biggest misperceptions were about people on death row, I think there are, I can think of like maybe five uh, okay. misperceptions. One, and this, these are not in order of, uh, in any specific order. I'm just, you know, they're just sort of random order. Yeah. Um, so one, one misperception I think is that everyone who is on death row is actually guilty of what they've been charged with. Uh, and that's, that's a huge misperception because I'm not saying that it's a majority, but there are, um, some people here who are actually innocent of what they've been charged with completely innocent. Uh, another misperception is that uh, the people that are guilty in some way are guilty of actual first-degree murder, and that's also a misperception because um, of the felony murder rule. So like a lot of guys that were here are guilty of a lesser crime. It was not premeditated. It was not in the process. It was, you know, something might have happened in the commission of another crime, a robbery went wrong or whatever, and someone ended up dying in the process, but it was mm -hmm. not like what you would consider 
uh, first degree murder, like premeditated and malicious and all that. It just, man, just things went wrong. Um, a third misperception, I think, is that people who are uh, here on death row, they can't change, that people don't change, I guess is the misperception. But in fact, people do change. Uh, so there are guys here who may be guilty in some way of what they were charged uh, with, but now they're not the same person at all from the person that was convicted 25, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. Um, another misperception, I think, is um, is that the people here, and this is one that I had when I came in uh, to death, or I myself as a prisoner came in thinking, man, these are the worst of the worst. It's going to be extremely violent. I'm going to go back here. I can't take nothing. No, you know, I can't take any crap from anyone. I'm going to have to fight. I can't, you know, I can't let anyone bully me. And so, um, but as soon as I got here, I experienced like these really selfless acts of kindness and generosity. I mean, it's like the guys, one thing I've come to learn is that the guys here uh, are, have become like family to one another because uh, death row's population is basically static. Like you don't have a lot of people coming and, and going from death row. So the people that are here have been here together for 10, 15, 20, 25, and 30 years. Um, so everyone knows who's who and what's what. and uh, They've learned how to live together. We've learned how to live together. Um, yeah, so wow. I think those are the, the, the biggest misperceptions that I can think of right off the top of my head. I think what's interesting, George, what you're saying is a lot of at least what I can I can't speak for obviously the public uh, myself and maybe some people I know is, but in conversations with people is I think we get a lot of our information from what you see in um, movies, documentaries, things of that nature, that may not always be yeah. telling you what is actually happening because you know whoever's making something they're steering the narrative towards the narrative they want to tell you about it. Exactly. Right. So I don't I always find that in life. I'm learning a lot about the behind the scenes, what's happening behind the curtain. And it's often very different than what I've been told in my life. And it seems like that's what you're explaining to me. Yeah, that's very well put. I think you said it perfectly. Thank you. Uh, but I think that, you know, thinking about this whole camaraderie thing, I think it's, it's surprising, but not. If you get people in a situation have a commonality over many years, you tend to bond over that commonality. And I think the whole violence thing is something that is surprising because you're told so much how violent things are going to be and um, different um, people getting together, you know, forming different bonds to survive and things. It sounds like that's not what you're saying in, in this particular experience. Yeah, no, it's more like, it's more like being in a military barracks or maybe like being in a college dorm room or something. I mean, minus mm -hmm. the educational opportunities and the training. And right. Stuff, just, you know, like exactly like you described, being here. And, and I think this is one of the key elements of, of Tessie's experience is um, seeing that we're just guys, just like any other. Like if you ran into us on the streets, uh, you would not know that any of us, or well, I'll say that, I'm not going to say any, I don't want to, because there are some guys here that you're like, wow, this is a crazy dude. He's exactly where he needs to be. Right. Uh, but, you know, the majority of guys here are, are just regular guys that like you would never um, uh, see that they have been charged or convicted of what they've been charged or convicted of. I mean, you have the range. I mean, you've got, 
guys that were just mechanics or guys that were ministers, uh, guys that were just salesmen. I mean, just everyday guys that you see in the grocery store uh, who got caught up in a situation or whatever that may be. And, you know, and something happened in that split second uh, that changed the course of their life, ended the life and changed the course of all those families' lives at the same time. Uh, but they didn't stop being just regular guys. Right, right. And your particular situation, how have you changed the most since you entered death row to where you are now? Well, me, I am a, a very spiritual person. I'm a Christian, uh, and I had always believed in God throughout my life uh, for a whole host of reasons. But um, I started trying to find out like I said before, like there was so much I didn't understand. And I always felt like I was like a pinball, sort of just being bounced from one thing to another. And I didn't understand why I behaved the way that I behaved. Uh, and so, um, you know, I sought out to, to find those answers. You know, I didn't come to writing until about midway through my sentence. But even before I started writing, I was, I was into just this whole idea of self-exploration. And, um, and I recognized that the way of life that I had lived, uh, aside from why I'm here, uh, I was just caught up in a, in a criminal lifestyle. I was addicted to drugs. I sold drugs. I mean, I just, I didn't understand why. I was like, why, why did I live like this, you know? And, um, and I realized that there had to be a better way. And when I started reading the Bible and I actually agreed with, the things that it said in the Bible in terms of what was right and what was wrong. I thought these seem like they're common sense things or maybe things that are already in my heart uh, that I had been resisting. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to commit to trying to do this God's way. And, uh, and just in that commitment, I think, and seeking the truth and seeking to do the right thing, that has transformed me. I think I wasn't, even though I was 23 years old when I got arrested and I was 25 when I got convicted, uh, physically I might have been a man but I don't think I actually became a man until I, I made that commitment to really stand for something, uh, regardless of how difficult it got and, uh, you know, taking responsibility for my, my actions. And, you know, if I mess up, I admit it or I apologize. But at the same time, if I've done nothing wrong, then I'm going to stand my ground on that too. Uh, so I had just, I guess a lot of this is I have grown and, and matured uh, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Yeah, you know, it's it's part of the human journey, George. I think everybody has obviously different routes and how that happens for that. And, you know, was, what was interesting also about this and wanting to speak with you guys is I was very inspired. I watched this documentary on Netflix called, um, it was College Behind Bars. And it was about uh, inmates who were going to Bard College. And what was really crazy was watching these gentlemen, they're watching how they spoke before they got in the program to when they got into the program and after how it literally, you could see their analytical thinking change and they were becoming different yeah. human beings. And it was so yeah. powerful. And then I it's so weird. I ran into Tessie like almost right after that on this site that I was on. Wow. And I said, I got to, I have to talk to these guys. I am not afraid to have these yeah. conversations. It's about seeking and understanding people yes. and what they're going through yes. 
and and for me that's important your stories about seeking and understanding and how you've grown and how you've matured during that time now do you take time do you talk with other inmates and you counsel them and you felt like you've become somebody who's helping other people in your journey as well yes yeah, yes, exactly, because uh, the book project is just, uh, I would say, an expression of a way of life, uh, you know, and like you say, I, I live in here, and so I, the things that I've learned along the way, I, I practice what I preach, and I try to share it with others, and so I have a, a number of ways I do that, but one of them, yes, is like uh, ministering to the guys around me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we hold Bible study on the pod where six of us gather, gather together, and we'll discuss how to apply uh, the scriptural principles for our daily lives and what that looks like specifically contextualized within prison. Because, uh, you know, what uh, standing your ground in here looks like uh, is faced with maybe some difficulties that you wouldn't face uh, out in the mm-hmm. world. Um, you know, just the temptations are a little bit different in here. Um, so, so yeah, I do, I do do that. I do just talk to the guys around me. I mean, even the people I interact with, I have friends and family on the outside, some of whom are still caught up in the life that led me to prison ultimately. And so I try to talk to them and say, hey, you know, this is where I think I went wrong. Uh, you don't have to make those same mistakes that I did. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things that I hope from these interviews that I'm doing discussions is that it will give people some insight and really the behind the scenes insight into what's going on in your life. And the ability to produce something as magnificent as this book that you and your co-authors and Tessie have put together, I think it's important. And a lot of times in life, we are just told certain things and we don't question it. We don't look behind the curtain. We just go, okay, this is how you must be because of this, you know? And it's interesting to hear your point of view about it and... So how do you deal with the time beyond this? You know, I think a lot of people are probably very curious is beyond, you know, the books and things of that nature. What else do you do to deal with your time in there? Well, like I said, the the book is just sort of an expression um, of who I am as a person. Like me being spiritual, uh, my life is is God-centered. And so one of the things I think maybe is my personal mission is to, uh, I recognize where I went wrong, and I sincerely have repented of just a way of life, a whole attitude, a whole worldview, you know, and and as I have been transformed along the way, I also want to help others um, uh, who are dealing with those same impulses that I dealt with, those same ignorances uh, that led me to make bad decisions, uh, and just try try to help, especially the guys around me or at risk youth or you know, people that I personally come in contact with in any way. So my life is literally devoted to to that mission. And what that looks like on uh, any particular battlefield, you know, it changes. Like the book, like I said, is one of those avenues that uh, we get this message out there. Another one is maybe through poetry or another project I work on called uh, Compassion, which is a newsletter that's uh, disseminated to every death row prisoner in the U.S., or, you know, just wow. my personal interactions. Every aspect of my life is, is devoted to that in some way. I mean, the times I go to bed, the times I wake up, how I exercise, what I read, uh, you know, what I don't read. Um, you know, I don't watch TV. I mean, so it's like my whole life is just shaped towards 
um, doing what I believe is a, is a God-given. You have 60 seconds remaining. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Um, it sounds like you're, you are doing a lot of different things and that you have taken the time to have self-reflection to see where your life is, how, the, how you're gonna continue to live your life. George, I wanna thank you for spending some time with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, hey, I thank you, man, because um, what, what you- You have 30 seconds remaining. The type of uh, response that you had to the book when you read it was exactly the type of thing that we were aiming for. So just to hear you say that and express it in your terms was like, wow. Um, that's really gratifying to hear that, man, because that was exactly what our goal was. So, so thank you for giving me this opportunity. You got it. And same here. Thank you for the opportunity. And I appreciate you. And um, man, thank you for writing such a powerful book. Appreciate it. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching, and finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine, and when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about and it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else it's your daily reminder that there is good in the world even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes so get the donut stay informed it's hundred percent free you can unsubscribe anytime Visit thedonut.co or text DONUT to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone. Do you know the risk factors for type 2 diabetes? Or what makes it more likely you or someone in your life might have the disease? With type 2 diabetes playing a growing role in the lives of so many, you need to know. And Project Power, a community program from the American Diabetes Association, is here to help. Take our risk test today at diabetes.org slash projectpower. You can avoid the risk of type 2. Project Power will help. How about we heat things up tonight? Mm, how so? Get a little fresh, add some steam, sizzle and spice. <laughs> Wait, you're talking about going to Outback again, aren't you? Fire things up at Outback Steakhouse. For a limited time, try our Bloomin' Fried Shrimp. Or get fresh with our new strawberry salad. Go big with our bone-in ribeye. Or the filet and grilled shrimp on the barbie. Then cool off with a cucumber crush or peanut koala. Try them all before they're gone. Let's Outback.